0: Welcome to the ENA Podcast.
1: Welcome back, this is the ENA Podcast. I'm Dan Campana, the Senior Manager for PR and Communications with the Emergency Nurses Association. Back for another episode, and uh, this time around, uh, I'm happy to introduce Karen Regatius, an Assistant Professor at uh, Quinnipiac University. Uh, Good morning, Karen.
0: Good morning, Dan, how are you?
1: I'm doing well today. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about behavioral health stigmas and uh, obviously it's a topic that every ED nurse uh, is going to encounter uh, at some point in their day, you know, as a day-to-day thing, but certainly with, you know, throughout their career. And uh, so we want to talk a little bit about that with you today, but let's learn a little bit about you to start off. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your background and your connection to, to ENA and really about what uh, what your work at Quinnipac is like.
0: Okay. Um, as for my background, i may registered nurse. Actually, I'm an advanced practice nurse, a psychiatric nurse practitioner, and I also have an advanced practice certification in addictions. I I have worked in medical surgical units. Then I got bored, and I went to an ICU and CCU, which was quite interesting, but I have to admit I got bored from there, And then I ended up in a hospital with a brand new open heart surgery unit, which at the time was pretty novel because it was a long time ago. But then while I was working there, that kind of got repetitive. And I remembered really enjoying psychiatry when I was in my undergraduate program. So I decided I would look for a graduate program. But then I had the thought, gee, maybe I should go get some experience, which is what I did. And I went to work on an inpatient psychiatric unit, transitioned from there to doing consultation liaison psychiatry. And that means that I'm practicing psychiatry on non-psychiatric units. So I would go into a medical clinic at the hospital. I would go into the medical surgical units all over the hospital, working with both staff and patients. And then I decided that I was going to go back and get my doctorate. And I um, saw a position for a psychiatric nurse practitioner in an emergency room. And I went there because the schedule was a great fit with graduate school. And it was really, really an interesting change of work. I worked there for 12 years. My role was to manage the milieu. We had a um, potential of a 25-bed unit. We don't always have that, but it could it have been big if we had a surge. But my role, again, was to manage the OU and, dispo- and de- determine disposition for patients. And at the same time, I was covering the consultation liaison residents when they weren't working. So I would see patients in the main part of the hospital. We saw patients who had all kinds of psychiatric illnesses and including substance abuse disorders. While it was a huge... Um, it was a steep learning curve. I really enjoyed it because it felt new every single day.
1: Sure. So, talk a little bit about you know in your your uh, your role at Quinnipiac. Um, what are, what are some of the topics that you're focused on right now relating to behavioral health?
0: Oh, and at Quinnipiac, I teach undergraduate um, psych- psychiatric nursing, and I also helped to create what we call um, on-campus clinical, we have simulation in psychiatry. So given the fact that I worked in the ED, that was a great jumping off point because I understood what how patients present. So we would design scenarios so students could actually be in the moment and talk to people and we use standardized patients for that. Okay. I also teach in the graduate program, um, first year students for using health promotion, and I begin to talk about mental, um, mental health and mental illness because they will see that in primary care settings. And then for uh, students who are graduating, I teach a psychopharmacology course.
1: Okay, so what was interesting that you just mentioned about you know, giving some of those uh, practical examples and ways to, to interact, uh, stigma and discrimination certainly are, are topics that come up when you think about behavioral health. You know, let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, really getting past the idea of a stigma. You know, what are some of the things that you do? You know, maybe at a class level that helps um, sort of really paint that initial picture of not judging a book by its cover, or really trying to understand what somebody's going through instead of just making snap judgments and maybe having that dictate uh, the course of action in 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 a less than
0: positive way. Well, that's really a that's a great question. So, can I ask you? question, because I want to, this is a question I do ask of my students. Okay. If I ask you a question. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So when you think about patients in behavioral health, which covers both psychiatry and addictions, what slang words do you use for those kinds of patients?
1: Well, not being a clinical person, but certainly somebody who is out in, you know, the world in restaurants and stores, if you see somebody who is acting, maybe not what people would consider to be normal. I mean, I'm sure that, uh, you know, things like, you know, oh, that person looks like they're sick, or they're acting weird, or they're freaking out, um, you know, would be ways that, um, you know, I, I certainly would probably that would be maybe a bit of a default that I would have is without knowing anything else, just think that, you know, they're just acting strange or they're acting weird. Um, but obviously I have no idea what they're going through. Um, what what kind of responses do you hear in, in your class?
0: It's interesting. It runs the gamut from real slang. If you're talking about someone with addiction, they could be a junkie, a crackhead, a pothead, to a person who's crazy. They're nuts. They're missing three crayons in their box. Okay. Those kinds of things, which are, it's, it's in casual social conversations so often that I think people just don't think about it. But I think what they don't understand is language matters. You know, where they, the old nursery rhyme of sticks and stone can break your bones, but words can never hurt you. Words can hurt you.
1: Sure. That's a great example. And so when, when we're talking about somebody who is uh, in some sort of behavioral health episode or crisis and they come into the ED, what are some of the realities of how there have been barriers that have sort of, you know, reduced the ability to really be effective initially? How how has that been an issue, the stigma been an issue for somebody coming into a traditional ED, you know, obviously in need of some sort of help, but maybe not being able to get the right connections right off the bat because of those judgments or stigmas?
0: I think some of it has to do with personal issues and that may be with the staff to the environment itself. In terms of personal issues, most of the people working in the ER chose to work in that setting. So when they're seeing this, you know, number of people with a psychiatric illness, you know, we all have some kind of bias whether we admit it or not. And sometimes people are just not happy. Sometimes they have the thought of, you know, you're taking me away from people who are really sick. some of it has to do with the sheer volume, the numbers of people that are now coming to the to the ER looking for some kind of help. I think the the ER is really de facto mental health center.
1: Um, and along those lines, the, to my mind, is it easier uh, for an ED nurse to physically diag- to diagnose a physical injury that they can see, and maybe they've been you know, remember from training and, and experience, whereas opposed to when somebody comes in who does not look physically injured but they're obviously struggling with something, is that sort of an inherent challenge that comes in when when we're dealing with psychiatric or, or behavioral health type issues?
0: Yes, that's that that can be a real challenge if you're not when you're not really sure and perhaps sometimes the patient can't tell you. And for the person who may come in with concurrent substance use problems, there are certain signs and symptoms that you can see and if you know some history and sometimes you know the staff can look that up in whatever records that they have access to but sometimes you don't know and if you don't do it all the time it can be um uncomfortable because you just don't do it all the time maybe you're really good at putting an iv in or oxygenating somebody or practice you know working to help somebody revive them in a code but you're used to that this is a little bit different
1: Sure. There's a there's a longer game involved with somebody going through these types of struggles because it's not like you said it's not uh, uh, putting on a, uh, a tourniquet. It's not about addressing a wound or you know giving them pain medications to help alleviate some of what they're struggling with. There's a longer term you know uh, need for some sort of assistance.
0: Right, and I think that can be challenging for just what we think of in the ER, which is urgent. You know, we, they come, sure. people come in and we treat them and we move on to the next person. And sometimes it takes a longer amount. It takes more time sometimes to work with a person who has a behavioral health issue.
1: Sure. Tell me a little bit about, you know, maybe an experience or two that you've had that um, really is, is sort of informed you on a on a frontline level. And you've been able to kind of carry that with you as you've been teaching on this and helping others understand how to really not uh, get caught up in just first impressions and not, you know, trying to shuffle people along because you can't figure it out or because they don't seem to have the same level of need compared to somebody who is in a, has a physical trauma.
0: Well, I can give you a couple of examples. One is actually very personal. When um, I left the open heart unit to go into the inpatient psych unit um, my dad said to me, I was telling them at home, telling my parents, and he looked at me and he said, you're not a nurse anymore. Why did I pay for you to go to school? And I was like, what? And he said, you're going to work with those people because to him, exactly as we talked about the you know, biased words and the perceptions of people, to him, these were people who never got any better and they were, weren't really worth bothering with because nothing else was going to happen the second one which is a a total opposite is I had actually gone for a medical appointment myself and the physician that I was speaking with just happened to say something to me about you know they ask you about how's how's work and I said well you know I was a little hesitant I said well don't laugh but I'm a psychiatric nurse practitioner and I work in the emergency room and this is, and this man looked at me and I, and he looked, his face changed and he, he said to me, thank you for doing that. And it turned out he had a family member who was struggling with some issue. And he was just, he said, thank you several times. So there's this whole opposite range, you know, of what people who who have a, have a very specific opinion and how these people should be, are, and so forth, to people who have maybe experienced something and they understand what a nurse may be doing to try to help them.
1: Okay. So when we're, we're sort of talking about getting past that barrier, um, whether it's an inherent bias or something, you know, it's, it's, Uh, there's a time factor, there's some other thing that's really sort of hanging up a nurse that is making it difficult for them to get to that next step and ask that next question. Really, what are some of the thoughts that you have on how an ED nurse can, uh, you know, maybe use some patients or really use, um, you know, some tactics to remind themselves that this person is not much as much a need as somebody who may have a physical trauma but the approach has to be different. What are, what are some ways that they can kind of get past the stigma to really get to the heart of what this person might need who comes into their ED?
0: Okay, I can, actually I can think of three things. One is to practice what's called radical acceptance. And that, that actually came from uh, some work by Viktor Frankl who wrote a book, he was the psychiatrist in the German concentration camps and he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meeting. And he was talking about the fact that between something that triggers us and our response, in between those two things lies our power to choose what we're going to do or say. So if people could just take that second to stop and think, it might help them at least maybe have a little less intensity of whatever emotion or whatever feeling is coming up for them. Um, again, I had said that the ED is their de facto mental health center. They're always open, always never closed. And the number of people who are showing up now for behavioral health problems is pretty staggering. So they're not going away. and I suppose if the staff can kind of come to some kind of acceptance of, they're part of my patient load. That's just how it is. The second thing I would suggest people to do is to sort of reframe how they think. And what I mean by that is to use what we call recovery language, something really simple. Oh, Dan's, Dan's schizophrenic. Well, no, Dan is a, ma- a person who has schizophrenia. That's something that I correct my students all the time on saying. They it's will- a very
1: subtle difference, but it, it, it does have meaning, right?
0: Right. It just, you know, you don't describe people in terms of their illness. You describe them in terms of a person who has X, Y, or Z illness, you know, which is not the same thing as you, you can reframe someone's bad behavior. Bad behaviors is something else. But with these illnesses, we don't define people by their illness. We don't assume that they can't ever get better. Everybody can achieve some kind of recovery.
1: And
0: I'm sorry, go ahead. And I was going
1: to say, and as you pointed out earlier, um, before we, we went on today, somebody who is dealing with a heart ailment um, isn't a heart patient. They're somebody who has a heart issue and behavioral health, for some reason it turned, you know, the language is a little bit different for some reason there. Explain a little bit more about how you've stressed that distinction kind of along the lines of what you just talked about. It's somebody who has this issue, not, as a, not categorizing them as this type of illness.
0: Right, well, we're looking at them in terms of who they are as a person, number one. Um, We also think about emphasizing, you know, what kind of strengths might they have? What are their abilities? And we wanna talk in a way that offers them some kind of hope that, in a sense, this too shall pass, that they'll be able to manage their symptoms and be able to go on and go back to their everyday life, however that that is, or however that they want it to be. So you might say, for example, you know, um, Sam has been diagnosed with bipolar disorder versus Sam Sam is bipolar. Um, for somebody who may have challenging behaviors, you know, Sam needs to work on more effective ways of getting his needs met.
1: Sure.
0: Those kinds of things, does that help?
1: Yeah, and the other thought I had too that I wanted to ask you about really is, um, this is obviously you know the volume of patients who are facing these types of, of issues um, certainly has grown, and the awareness of of this has certainly grown. Um, but the, there seems like there's been some positive steps too. There are uh, EDs that are are being uh, you know driven simply you know specialty EDs that have been driven more towards psychiatric care. Um, And there are other public sort of programs and policies that have been um, integrated into the emergency care setting as well in different communities that I've read about and I've written about in the past for ENA Connection, where they're addressing this as not, you know, trying to get away from just, well, if they're in trouble, the police department takes them away, even if they're in in a crisis of some sort, or if we don't know where else to go, we just take them to the ED. It seems like there's a little bit of a middle ground that's growing where there are specific facilities that are being used to help very specially Uh, focus on patients who are in those types of of dealing with those types of issues or in those types of crises, that seems like that's a positive step in terms of addressing the the core issue.
0: That's true, because there are some places around the country that are really do it really initiating treatment. Um, I went to the uh, summit meeting from the American Psychiatric Nurses Association and met someone whose ED has a range of services, so people don't, you know, they're, they're not waiting weeks and weeks and weeks for treatment. They have a number of, of uh, multidisciplinary professionals that are available that can start some kind of treatment immediately and can help them move on back into the community. Now, that's unusual, and I think one of the problems in the ERs is if you don't have enough people and there really is a lack of resources and we know that the psychiatric uh, providers you know there's going to be a lot who are retiring and but we still need more so the fact that there's the access to resources after the initial event that gets stabilized in an emergency department that can act as a barrier for moving people up and out
1: obviously there are some in, uh, infrastructure issues that every facility, every ED deals with and every hospital deals with in terms of how they can uh, best treat and, and take care of the volume of, of patients who um, are facing behavioral health uh, crises or, or issues. And we talked a little bit about how an individual nurse can practice a little bit of patience and, and ask questions and really um, use their words in a good way to help you know, get past that stigma and barrier um, you know, phase of things. But from an administration level, are there some things that really um, make sense in terms of, you know, uh, how an administration could basically support their staff and help them understand what, um, you know, how they can work together to make sure that this population is getting uh, the best that they can out of a, of a particular ED, whether they've got a specific uh, area set aside or they have other programs in place. But are there some fundamental things that from an administrative level that could be helpful to the, the frontline ED nurse? I think from...
0: In a lot of VRs, and they probably have a version of this, it's creating a culture of uh, acceptance. And that comes from the top down as to how the management approaches this. But one of the things that nurses might benefit from, and I know ENA is, is talking about providing some kind of short interactive education so it wouldn't take too long for a nurse to listen to a podcast or look at something online. But being able to advocate, remembering that you have to advocate for your patients so you have to speak up when they can't. And part of that speaking up is providing, the nurses providing patient education, you know, and and telling them where are resources if they have, you know, whatever resources are available to them. What do they need to do Take care of
1: themselves. And at the end of the day, um, this uh, this topic is growing in terms of its sort of public conversation. Um, you know, stigma doesn't just exist in the ED; it exists in society in general, as you sort of pointed out right at the top. So I, I think the more conversations that happen on a mainstream level, if you will, um, do you think that would also you know lend itself to having better conversations and more openness, um, you know, in the ED and other particular you know healthcare uh, you know regions, so to speak?
0: Yes, I think that would be helpful. You make a great point as to this issue is in the mainstream, even if you look in the, you know, people who have very high positions, they all, they all speak like this at some point. Maybe not all, but, you know, it, it is out in just general social conversation, and we need to think about how that comes across and how we make other people feel when we do that.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Karen Regasius, uh, I appreciate you taking some time. Any last thoughts you want to share, either on um, sort of how to get past the stigma or really how we can advance the conversation and, and get people to, uh, ED nurses in particular, get them more comfortable with recognizing the needs of, of these patients and this population so that their care is at the same level as anybody who walks in the door in terms of a physical trauma?
0: I think two things. One is providing education because once you understand something you're not so afraid of it so you might react in a different way and the second thing is if an ed has access to uh, psychiatric nurse practitioners clinical specialists someone who can provide some support for the staff so they're not they're out out there trying to do everything all on their own
1: it sounds like it's another example of how a team effort could really benefit the overall uh, outcomes of patients, uh, no matter what they're they're struggling with or what their ailments might be. Uh, Karen, I appreciate you uh, you lending some insights and helping us uh, really sort of you know advance this conversation, talking about uh, stigmas and barriers. And um, you know, I, I I think this is something that uh, is a continuing conversation, and I hope uh, people can walk away with some more uh, insights on how maybe they can apply these things uh, firsthand. So. Thank you for your time and and for being a part of the podcast.
0: Well, Thank you very much for asking me to join you.
1: So that'll do it for this uh, latest episode of the ENA podcast. Uh, You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and the latest episodes are always on the ENA homepage. So subscribe, download, listen listen to them in your car, uh, share them with your coworkers. We're trying to really advance conversations and talk about a lot of different topics. So if you've got an idea for a topic, you can reach out to me, dan.campana at ena.org, and maybe your topic will be the focus of a future ENA podcast. Until next time, this is Dan Campana, and thank you for listening. For more information on behavioral health in the emergency department, visit ena.org practice resources behavioral hyphen health. And coming in May, Look for ENA's new Behavioral Health Bundle. Follow us on social media for latest information about the release date of the ENA Behavioral Health Bundle.